0: So Money episode five seventy six. Mike Nugent, NFL player.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money.
0: Today's episode is a real treat for anyone who follows pro football. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Farnish Tarabi. Welcome to So Money. You know, a couple months ago, I got an email from an NFL player named Mike Nugent. He said he was a fan of the podcast. And he had some money questions for me. He was a new dad and he wanted to ask about college savings and preparing for her financial future. It was very cool. And truthfully, I was kind of blown away, a little starstruck, excited. So much so I asked him if he would do me a favor and come on the show to share with us What is it like to manage money as a pro athlete? What are some of the behind the scenes of the role money plays in the professional sports world? Why do we hear about so many athletes going bankrupt? Uh, He has some really interesting thoughts on that and dispels some of the myths. I really appreciated that perspective. A little bit more about Mike. He has been a place kicker in the NFL for 12 years. He's played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Arizona Cardinals, and most recently, he just finished playing with the Cincinnati Bengals. He's a two-time All-American in football, and he played in the 2002 National Championship team. And when we recorded this episode, which was back in February, he was still a free agent. So I was curious to also learn how that impacts his financial planning. Lots to discuss with Mike Nugent. Here we go. Mike Nugent, welcome to So Money. This is a first for us, a real NFL player. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me.
0: I understand you listen to the show, so I have to ask, how did you hear about it?
1: You know what? I I think I just kind of heard it through a couple friends. I heard people talking about it a little bit and I, it's embarrassing to say I had a couple teammates. Anytime I would give them, I don't know, a ride to dinner or something like that, they would want to connect their phone to my car. And I had to tell them, like, I apologize, but I do not have Bluetooth music in my car. So I actually didn't have a, a way of easily listening to podcasts. So once I finally – we, we um, were getting ready to have a baby and just need a little bit bigger SUV than the current one that I was driving. So I finally – my number one rule was I need to have Bluetooth. I had bl- a Bluetooth phone but I didn't have Bluetooth music. So now I just, I listen to podcasts nonstop and I, I kind of jumped back and forth between a few, but I, I heard a couple people tell me about yours and I just, I absolutely love it. So and I, I listen to it when I work out as well.
0: Thank you. That's such a huge compliment. And to know also that it was recommended from friends, that's like, makes me, makes my day. So you wrote to me because you had some really good questions. Is your daughter already born? Yes. Yeah, she, she was is. born
1: on the 27th of that's June. That's right.
0: Congratulations. Thank
1: you. Thanks a lot.
0: What's it like being a parent? You had some questions around just getting your financial ducks in a row for her, which I thought was really great and responsible. What has now becoming a parent made you think about that you weren't thinking about before when it comes to money?
1: You know what? You, I, a lot of times you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, you just want the best for your kids. And I think you just can't really say that very much until you have one. Like you can always say, okay, this is what I think I'll do or just certain attitudes you'll have. But, um, finally, uh, welcoming our daughter. All I think about is like, okay, how can I make life the best for her? Like, I just, I want to do everything I can. Cause I truly feel like, you know, before it, it was all about me. And then once I got married, it was about my wife and I together. And now it's about mostly about all, all of us as a family. So there's just certain things I've thought about. Just, um, I, I feel like I'm very, I was very fortunate the way I grew up. I never had people telling me like, oh, you you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You're not going to college. I, I always had a lot of encouragement. So I think, um, I just, I want to deliver those same messages to my, my children and, um, but also do what I can and, you know, do what the government will allow me to do to make her financially successful in the future, or at least give her some kind of boost that I can do on my end.
0: Right, including a college savings account. You're asking about trust. You have a financial advisor, so it sounds like you're in good hands and you're thinking along the right path. Uh, Let's take a step back. You are an NFL player, currently um, a free agent. What does that mean? Actually, does that mean? Does that? that, What are the pros and cons to being a free agent?
1: Uh, So basically, a free agent. um, I'm not exactly sure about the dates, uh, or I'm sorry, about your years in the NFL. When I was younger, it was like you had to play four years or three years to be, once your contract is up, you're an unrestricted free agent. That basically just means if you're an unrestricted free agent, which is what I am, I, I can talk to any team, sign with any team. I, my team that I previously played for has no rights to my contract. My contract is officially up. Then there's guys who are restricted free agents who, their team, they're younger guys, so their team can match a contract offer they get from another team. And then um, if they match it, they, that player has to stay with the team, that, their current team that matched it. But for me, unfortunately, um, I only played 13 games this season. So I became a free agent with about three three games to go. And um, since I'm a 12-year veteran, um, it's uh, obviously a, a, an unrestricted free agent. So I don't have any kind of timeline where I can't talk to teams right now. And um, I think Mar- this year, around March 9th, is official the official start of free agency in the NFL. That's where players that are not under contract anymore are allowed to talk to other teams and uh, see if they can get offers from other teams as well as get a a comparable offer to their current team that they just finished playing for.
0: Gotcha. And you just finished playing with the Cincinnati Bengals. And so what's your hope? Where do you, do you want to move? Do you want to go out of state? Do you want to, what's, what's the plan?
1: Well, you know what? I, I was extremely spoiled being here in Cincinnati. Not, not only did I just love the guys I worked with every day. I think that's that's a huge plus. If you love what you do and you love the people you're with every day, that's I, I was extremely spoiled. And to add to that, my wife grew up in Columbus, Ohio. So we're only about an hour and a half drive from her parents. And um, I have a lot of family where I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, which is only about 45 minutes from here. So I'm very lucky to be basically playing for the team that actually that I was a diehard fan of. We had season tickets to Cincinnati um, when I was growing up as a kid. So It's, it's very tough to leave here being so close to home, but my wife and I live in Scottsdale, Arizona in the off season. And, um, we're just sticking around here, just raising our daughter here in Cincinnati still. And, uh, we're going to head back around April. So, and I think at that point, it's just kind of a, kind of a sit back and wait and see how free agency goes, Mm -hmm. uh, starting in March. Then you have the NFL combine and the NFL draft and things like that. So it's really just kind of sit back and see what teams decide to do. And, uh, hopefully an opportunity will come up and uh, I can go in and compete for a job this year.
0: How do you negotiate a contract? I've always been curious about this. I mean, clearly a lot of athletes have agents and they handle the negotiating, but you've been at this for 12 years now in several teams. Uh, what's your approach now to kind of getting what you feel is, is it is a worthy contract?
1: You know what? It, it's basically a standard thing that pretty much most guys, almost all players in the NFL do is you'll hire an agent and, um, they're basically, they're all capped at 3% by our players association. So, um, you know, usually an agent will charge that or they might charge a little bit less to get kind of a a leg up on other agents. But, um, they'll be the ones that are not only deciding your, you know, talking to the, the GMs and the owners and, and even a little bit of coaches here and there and deciding, you know, where your fair market value is, but also just, um, they will also be kind of going to certain events like the, the Senior Bowl, which is an all-star game uh, for college players where the, a bunch of coaches, a bunch of GMs go to. And uh, basically, they can almost kind of sell their players, guys that are free agents, and see talk to the teams that will need someone like me, like a kicker or, or a linebacker or, or a receiver. So um, agents, they, they do a great job. They're, they're the kind of guys that um, they have to be good, good with people, actually great with people, but also great with, um, with contracts as well.
0: I don't know a whole lot about sports, but I do know that in football, your pay, your contract's not guaranteed. Your pay is not guaranteed. Whereas in basketball, there is more security. You've been at this for 12 years, which is very, I think, I don't know, is that, that's not always typical. Some people play for a year and then they're out. I've had people on this show, in fact, guests who played, you know, for the, for a, an NFL team, for a year, for three months, for six months, got injured, and then they had to rethink their entire careers. Uh-huh. Have you ever? How have you navigated that uncertainty in your own career as a professional football player? The financial uncertainty, the the, the injury uncertainty, all of it.
1: You know, I think that's one of the things. It's great to, I, I I love being able to talk to someone like you or a financial advisor, someone that you know has has things figured out where they know okay, this is where you could put money or what you could do to be successful way down the road. But I think the biggest thing is coming into the NFL. I think you need to realize like this, this we're, we're very extremely fortunate. The NFL is an amazing business. It's, it's thriving, it's doing great. And luckily financially it's, it's great as well for basically everyone involved. And I think it's one of those things you need to realize that, like you said, number one, the contracts are not guaranteed. So that's why so many times people will see guys holding out for more money. And for a while, I always thought, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're making this much money. How could you how could you possibly ask for more? But they're really holding out. Mostly, it's going to be for the guaranteed money. Because like you said, it's not guaranteed. So when a player gets released with a few games left or with 12 games left in the season, that money stops. So it's not like you're getting your salary for the rest of the season. That money basically just ends that day and you're not going to get paid. Unless you're a vet, um, you, we have something called termination pay. And uh, if you're a four-year veteran, I'm pretty sure it is. If you're on opening day roster, your contract is guaranteed just for that season. So um, if you get released uh, five weeks into the season, you'll still get your contract for the rest of the year. But that's one of the other things that you need to realize is not only the fact that the contracts are not going to be guaranteed. You, you try to get as much guaranteed as possible, but also you really need to realize that this is this kind of income. And I, I think what a lot of people have trouble with is this. NFL income is not going to be coming till you're 65 years old. It's not something you can do till, you know, for 30, 35 years, you have to realize, you know, if you can save now, maybe you can do some sort of equivalent to that the rest of your life. But um, if you're lucky enough to play for a certain amount of years, you can try to build up your portfolio. But I think uh, a lot of people kind of forget that, okay, I'm not going to make this money when I'm 50. So you have to be smart and be saving.
0: And so for yourself, what have you thought about where do you want to be once your football career retires? Um it's hard to probably work on other skills while you're playing football to then just hit the ground running in a different direction.
1: <clears throat> yeah. You know,
0: what what what's your what are your hopes? Are you gonna take time off to kind of like think about it or do you really know what you want to do?
1: No, I've always thought like in my head, I, I've had certain goals. Um I think my initial goal, I I really wanted to play ten years like if I can play 10 years in the NFL I feel like that'll be a success and I'll be very happy with that and luckily I've hit 12 so far but I just feel as though you know I'm I'm going to be 35 in about uh a little less than a month and um you know even getting close to you know close to 35 years old I I just don't think I'm finished yet um I think my body feels great and I have a lot more left in me for a long time I really wanted to play 20 years And I see, I've seen someone like Adam Vinatieri play. I I think this is his 21st or 22nd season. I mean, and just performing at the absolute best of his career. So you can see how successful guys can be. Even, you know, I think he's um, in his early 40s. So I I really look up to people like that who played for this long. So that's always been my goal is 20 years. And if I don't get to that completely, maybe I got to 10 or maybe I got to 15. So um, I've gotten to a point now where, kind of like I was saying earlier, just sit back and see what free agency looks like. And uh, I I think I'm obviously going to have to compete for a job this year in training camp and in the off season and uh, basically take it from there and see if I can add a few more years to my career.
0: We see a lot of athletes when they retire, they go to broadcasting. Some go into the financial investment field, like Kobe Bryant, you know, he's started a Hedge fund, <laughs> um, which is crazy, but also makes sense because he's got a lot of connections to be able to support something like that. Um, what are your passions outside of football? Where you think you might be led down a path of doing something uh, post retirement?
1: Um, you know, I was a business major at Ohio State, so um, obviously something in the business field is something I'd be interested in. I, I could see myself staying with football, and not so much as a coach on the field but more of a weight room type, like uh, strength and conditioning coach. Uh, that's something I've had a bit, a little bit more of a passion than, you know, watching film or uh, drawing up plays, anything like that. Obviously being a kicker, I don't have, you know, I don't have a huge playbook, anything like that. So I'm not looking at plays and reading defenses like uh, most of these guys are. But I think something in that field, if I would stay in sports, but I, I just, you know, maybe I I've always had aspirations with going back to Ohio state someday. I, I have so much respect for the school that, uh, just gave me so much. I had so much fun playing there and I was pretty close to home and just, um, I feel like I gave so much to that school and, um, I think I still owe a lot to that school. How much I I got back for, uh, being able to play there and just have such, I I had such a great time. And, um, so I, I would love someday to go back to Ohio state and, uh, do something with the school, you know, and specifically, I, I don't really know what that would entail, but I would love to be, you know, in the sports department.
0: Hearing you is so refreshing, Mike. I have to say, because unfortunately, a lot of the news headlines around athletes and money—they're negative. You hear about athletes who, you know, we know how it works—you fall into a lot of money at a young age, and you uh, sometimes um, cannot manage it well, or you have others who manage it improperly. And I've heard a lot of stories about you know athletes going bankrupt and spending beyond their means and not paying their taxes. So I would love to spend a little bit of time talking about the you know behind the scenes from your perspective what you have seen and why you think there is this degree of recklessness um, with athletes and money. And oh, yeah, not just just say that athletes do this, but of course I think this is sort of symptomatic s- symptomatic of anybody who gets sometimes a windfall, right? If you win the lottery, you suddenly Inherit a lot of money; it's very easy to make quick, rash decisions.
1: Definitely, I mean, I mean, I think um, it, the thing about the NFL that's it's basically like you said—you go from a college kid who is, you know, when I was in college, I I was receiving a scholarship check, which basically uh, I think you got every month, and that paid for food and rent. But I even noticed it in college; guys would be, um, you know, have have a new wardrobe or maybe. A little bit, uh, I don't know, like just certain things that that uh, they would be wearing, like new newer shoes. And I sit there, I'm thinking, I, you hear people complain a little bit, like, oh, I don't, and, and it's a lot of it's going on in college right now that people talk about how college athletes should be paid a lot more because it's such a huge business. Which I agree, it is a massive business, but I don't think people are appreciating what a scholarship is because you hear, I hear even a lot of times on your podcast, people talk about college debt um being an athlete in college to be able to graduate college with no college debt i think it's it's one of those things that it shouldn't be overlooked by a college athlete i think the people uh, myself included who are very fortunate enough to get a scholarship need to appreciate how lucky we are to have that and um you know i look back i thought kind of like i said earlier i received a check to pay for food and rent and i had i paid for my food and rent and i had a you know a little bit of money left over to maybe go to a nicer dinner uh like sometime during during that month but i I just looked at it as you know you really have to be able to to divide you know the money that's earned or the money that's given to you and I think um you know going from a kid in college who just really doesn't have a lot of money to spend and to a let's say a tenth overall draft pick who signs a fifteen million dollar deal with uh nowadays. I don't know maybe the top 10 or 15 picks are getting that full contract guaranteed. So you have 15 million, 20 million dollars guaranteed for your first four or five seasons and um you know a lot a, a lot can happen in those four years and if you can be smart and surround yourself with the right people, um you can you can do the right things but there there's the other side if you if you don't have the right people around you and the right advice being told to you. I I can see how you know, a lot of that money can go quickly because that 20 million is instantly right off the bat. It's not 20, it's, it's 10.
0: It's 10 so, and then your agent yeah. fee and then, uh, cost of living. What, how did you determine who are the right people to surround yourself with? It sounds like you have a pretty solid team in place, but sometimes you can do a lot of the vetting and you get recommendations and still people end up with the wrong team. So yeah. how do you, uh, how do you know you're with the right people?
1: Well you know what i when I was coming uh, during my co- my senior season in college i um I don't know how my cell phone number got out, but you start getting a lot of calls from agents, and that was one of those things and it, that was at the time where uh you know you didn't have unlimited minutes during the day you you would have you know you'd have to wait till eight or nine o'clock to have unlimited minutes so I always told these guys I'm like call me back at eight like I don't because you know they kind of talk your ear off so I don't want to be talking on the phone and getting a a really high uh cell phone bill. So I always call me later. That's when I can talk to you. So I think that was a hard decision to pick an agent. But, um, at, from there on a lot of agents want to meet with you and talk to you and things, you know, after your season, you don't really want to do any one thing with them during the season because, you know, if they pay for a $5 meal for you, then you could be ineligible. Cause that's, you're not allowed to accept any money after your college, uh, career is finished. And, um, I actually, my dad met with a lot of agents in sat down with my agent. His name's Ken Harris. He's, he's, um, his own company. It's not a huge company and he's had some great guys and I've gotten to work with him for my entire 12 year career. And my dad sat down with him and basically I was like, dad, you sit down with these guys and tell me who you like. And he's like, I I love this guy. Ken. I think you should sit down with him. He's great. And uh, I think you'll appreciate things he has to say. So after meeting with him, it was kind of a no brainer for me, just a great guy and uh, really had his head on straight. And, um, but at that point, after picking an agent, I was like, yeah, this was difficult. You know, this is a person you're putting a lot, putting a lot of trust in. It was actually way more difficult to pick a financial advisor, uh, than an agent, you know, the agents in charge of your contracts and things like that. And you can work out a lot of numbers, but a financial advisor, you're, you're basically picking someone that, you know, you're trusting them with your entire life savings. Like say, Hey, here's all the money I've earned. You know, hopefully you can make as much as possible for me. So, um, I got to a point where, I, I met some great people in the financial uh field, like with financial advising and things like that. The only thing is a lot of guys would want to entertain you. They'd sit you down, give you a big presentation, and uh show you what you could be worth in thirty, forty, fifty years. Then they would want to entertain you and take you out to dinner and do all this stuff. And I kind of sat there thinking, I almost really don't wanna be best friends. I, I wanna be business like partners. And um because I think it should be business first, not friends first, when you're picking a financial advisor. Then I um, had some friends recommended, recommend me somebody. And his biggest sell to me, he told me two things. He's like, you won't be my biggest client and you won't be my smallest. And, um, the other thing he said to me, he was like, I I am not gonna, my company is gonna with or without you, my company will still be around. Like, I I want your business, but I don't need it to stay afloat. And, um, I, you know, at a, to a point, I obviously knew that he's, it's a huge company. I, I didn't want to go with someone individual who, Um, you know, I would just be, it would just be him by himself. I wanted to go with a company that has a a bigger reputation and, um, you know, a lot of assets they've taken care of. But that was one thing he told me was just like, he made me think like, okay, like I'm not, I don't need your business. I I just want it. You know, I want to work with you and it's not something I need to do to survive. And that, that was actually my biggest sell
0: it was like this passive aggressive, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's actually a very smart negotiating tactic. You want to show that you want the business, but not that much.
1: Exactly. And then the other person's like, pick me. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't come off as, you know, cocky or anything like that. It was, it was very modest, but it it wasn't anything I put out there initially that he just responded to. It was just, Hey, this is how we run our business. We'd love to have it, but, um, you know, we're going to be here. With or without you, but um, we'd love to have you on board. And I, I just thought that was one of those things. I, I wasn't. It wasn't a huge sales tactic.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it didn't seem like it. So, and, and I've been very happy ever since. I've been with the same um, company and the same group of guys uh, for my entire twelve-year career.
0: Going back to your story about picking an agent, I like how you included your dad. And his BS detector. Yeah. It's probably really smart. So take us down memory lane a little bit. I I feel as though you had very, you were very grounded and very, um, you had a very solid upbringing in terms of teaching values, teaching you just to hear even how you got a scholarship in college and you were rationing out the money. (laughs) Like, not a lot of 18 year olds would be doing that. (laughs) Um, I, for one, I definitely blew through some money in college. So tell us about kind of how your childhood was in relation to money and what kinds of lessons you learned.
1: Well, you know what? Overall, uh, I, I think I was saying this a little bit earlier. I hate to repeat myself, but I, I, I'm just one of those people. I, I think we're true products of our environment, uh, just growing up and just the people around us. And I am one of the very fortunate people. I, I had both my parents and they Um, worked together for a year. My dad recently passed away in 2014. But um, I I was very fortunate to have parents who were extremely encouraging. They were never pushy, saying like, we want you to play this sport or we want you to do this. And I I have a brother that's about a year and a half younger than me. And um, so we had great competition between the two of us. But we were the kids that played a different sport every season uh, in Ohio. So it was great to be able to jump around different sports as a kid and just learn what you like and learn what you're good at and uh but i i always had the parents uh, like i was saying earlier i didn't you hear all the stories like guys that have succeeded or or you know even sorry not just guys but women who have succeeded in the sports world they might have a story of oh you know everybody told me i couldn't do this i couldn't get a scholarship i'll never go to the pros i am lucky enough i never had that kind of doubt um no i i didn't have people talking to me like that saying like you'll never make it you'll never do this i i always had the people thinking you know if you put your mind to it and work hard enough you can do anything you want like so the only thing that's going to hold you back is you and uh my parents always instilled that in me and i no matter what i had pretty much both parents at every single sporting event that i ever played at and if i didn't have both at least one of them was there even in the nfl um i think my parents went to every single college game of mine except for my freshman year we had a game at ucla and it was, uh, I think it was the week after 9-11. So I, every single flight got canceled. And that was basically the only college game that they missed. Um, so just the support I had growing up was it was just incredible. And I, I owe so much to my family, but not only them, but um, I have two older sisters. And um, so I, I had family around me that was so encouraging. And uh, every step along the way, it just you know, just so positive and saying, you know, just the support was unbelievable. So I, I am very, very grateful for um, just what I had as a kid.
0: And with regards to money, were there any conversations around money? And did you have a lemonade stand when you were a kid? Like what, what kinds of uh experiences did you have around money that later now as an adult, you're like, you know what, that was a really, um, needle moving moment, you know, it really taught me a lot and helped me kind of get ahead in my life financially.
1: Yeah. I, I hate to say it, but there was nothing exactly that I did myself. Um, you know, working as a kid, you know, I was a lifeguard, uh, in the summer, anything like that. Anytime I got a little bit of time away from sports, I would do something, but it was really just, I, I, I watched my parents, you know, there were certain things we, we weren't spoiled as kids. It wasn't, Oh, I want these. I, I remember, there was like $80 basketball shoes that I was just dying to get and $80 when I was at this age is probably that's today, a lot. Like, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Back then. Today it would be like me asking for $200 basketball shoes. It was ridiculous. And I was so obsessed with these shoes, but my mom was just like, that's way too much money. Like we're, you're, we're not buying that for you. So it's not like it was, we, we were kids and we got what, anything we wanted, but you know, if, if we wanted to go to the movies, yeah, of course. Yeah. Go to the movies, enjoy time with your friends. Like my parents were very, um, very smart. They, they weren't trying to save every single penny that they had, you know, it's like not save every single penny, but not just, okay, you, we're going to buy you whatever you want. And so I think just watching my parents just every day, just, um, they, both. my mom was a kindergarten teacher for about 40, I think 40 years or 41 years. And, um, so just watching them every day, just the, the way we lived was, you know, it was modest, but I mean, nothing, uh, it's not like we were trying to make ends meet every month for all for all we knew as kids. So I, I just I think just watching them and I, I think the way myself and my wi my wife we spend money now, it's it's kind of the way that I grew up and the way she grew up as well.
0: It's important to find a partner that, you know, shares in your financial values. Um when you were getting married and even now, like what kinds of conversations do you guys have around money? What seems to be some stuff that always comes up?
1: Um You know what? That's a really good question. I I think she she always kind of gives me a hard time like only because I I just, I don't really like to shop for myself. Um, Amazon and Apple completely own me. Um, (laughs) So those are two things that I can say that um, I have a great relationship with, but also an awful relationship with because they just, they, it's too easy. Yeah. Those two things have figured me out. So, um, but she always kind of gives me a hard time because just shopping for clothes for myself. Anytime we do go shopping, I'm always like, "Why don't I do this more often?" And she looks at me like, "You know, of course." Like, yeah, you, you want to welcome these
0: to instant gratification world. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, exactly. But I, you know, I'll I'll buy a pair of uh, nice pants at Lululemon, and I'll be like, "Okay, I'll get two different colors in these because I'm, I'm going to wear them for the next ten years." so 10 uh, years. yeah it's just well hopefully you know i, I better <laughs> the same
0: the you keep that cost per wear really down
1: <laughs> i really do I, I try to as hard as i can but she's she's really kind of told me there there's certain times where i'm just like oh why don't i just go the cheap mode and she's she makes some good points she's like you know you could buy this and it's going to be re- need to be replaced in a year but you know if you spend a little bit more money it's a more quality product and you don't need to replace it for eight to ten years so i that's one thing that um before I met her, I, I would always be like, Oh, I just want to go the cheap route. I don't want to spend the money, but she, she's really taught me, you know, you you do get what you pay for. And I've learned that uh, a lot in the, uh, the service world as well. You know, if you're getting your house worked on or anything like that. So it's yes. just, um, you know, one thing that she's done a great job of is just, you know, if you're going to get something, get, get a quality product. So that's usually what comes up with us.
0: What's it like playing with other players that do spend more frivolously? I mean, I can only imagine there's I hear this from other athletes. Like there's pressure to have a certain kind of car and dress a certain way and buy certain things. Um, did you ever feel that pressure and did you ever fall into that pressure?
1: You know, I'll be completely honest, I have not felt that pressure whatsoever. I um it, it's funny. You see you see like Hollywood and a lot of things on TV and just think that the NFL or I can't speak for anything but the NFL, but you think every single player on the team is making just multi million dollar deals and there's Ferraris everywhere. It's really at the end of the day, it most most of the guys in the NFL are just um guys making league minimum, which is usually, you know, league minimum for every single person on the field is less than a million dollars a year. And um but all you really see is The guys that are making the five to ten to fifteen million dollar deals, those are the ones you see the most, so they get the most publicity. But um, when you really look at it, most of the NFL and so many guys really are just kind of like anyone with a job. They they just want to be successful and be great at what they do. You know, make the most money as possible so they can um, give their family a great life. And I think that's a misconception people see a lot that it's just money, you know, there's gambling in the locker room. Money is thrown around like crazy. So I, I, definitely can't say that I felt really the pressure to, to buy certain things. You obviously see that, you know, you'll see a Ferrari pull into the parking lot and and it's cool. It's, it's really beautiful. But then you sit there and think like, okay, I'm obviously, I'm not going to spend $200,000 on the car. If you know, if you're making, you know, a guy that makes a million dollars, uh, you know, he's taking home 500000 then, you know, do you want to spend almost half of that, right. your take-home pay on, on a car that is... Some
0: do, some appreciate. do, because that's Yeah, some just, do.
1: I, yeah, yeah, I can't say that nobody does it.
0: Well, so. thanks, for, thanks for clarifying, because I do... You're right. I think when it comes to, you know, the news and the pop... Culture uh, headlines. A lot of it is targeting the the big money making athletes and what all the crazy stuff they're doing. And yeah. the reality is, is that you know, on average, you're making you're making good money, but it's not enough to be buying Ferraris and champagne for everybody.
1: Exactly, like the the guys that and like we were just saying, like what you see on TV makes you think. You know, there's 53 players on the roster, so you know you have 53 guys you have you're paying. And you have you know one hundred and what one hundred and forty-eight million dollars salary cap. There might be one guy that's making sixteen, or I think there's two guys on the Bengals making thirty million of that one hundred and fifty million dollar cap. So take two guys away,
0: you
1: know. right. uh, so it's, it's that that number kind of dwindles quickly. So uh, it's one of those things. It's you do you do see it, but it, it's not it, everything. Isn't as crazy and all the you know the the Hollywood lifestyle that you would think it you know that. Almost the media makes you think it is on a daily basis.
0: What about endorsements? I hear that's a big revenue stream for athletes. Uh, have you had endorsements? What are there other kinds of revenue streams as an athlete that you can attract because of your position and your status?
1: So that that's the tough part about football. Like I was saying, the fact that there's fifty three guys that makes it tough. You know, because you want you want to stand out and ha- and make an extra income off the field, but it, this is going to sound a little. I don't know, this isn't going to sound like it's correct, but the fact that we wear helmets really hurts your, um, endorsements off the field because you're going to have big time guys like for Cincinnati Bengals, like AJ Green, an amazing receiver, Andy Dalton, um, just pro bowl quarterback. Those are going to be the two guys that get a lot of publicity and will, you know, make a good salary, you know, off the field. But Football players aren't that recognizable since there's so many players and you wear a helmet every every day. Now, it, I, I've always been intrigued by maybe like a golfer, like the fact that a, a tournament in Dubai will pay him three t- Tiger Woods three million dollars just to show up. So I think um, the kind of publicity that a golfer would get, just being on camera, you know, their face zoomed in on camera all the time. So it, it kind of depends on the sport, uh, especially know basketball since there's only five guys on the court i'm not sure how many guys they keep on the roster but the five guys on the court are getting so much face time they're becoming more and more recognizable every single game and uh, football is just not the same unless you're you know every single team is going to have one or two guys that really stand out so it's uh you'd be surprised there's a lot less uh money made off the field in football than than actually you would think.
0: I never thought of that. The helmet being a barrier.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's true. If you're a brand, you want your brand ambassador to be visible. That's it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Have you ever had any money failures? I know you said, you know, you've had a pretty smooth ride, but have there ever been any times where you're like, ah, that was a mistake? Or, you know, you learn something a little bit the hard way.
1: You know what? I, I I was thinking about that because the ones that I've lived that your podcasts I've listened to really it, it's, it, ha- it wasn't a gigantic failure, but it's something that when it, whenever it comes up, it makes me really, really frustrated. I, um, I had a teammate back in 2010 who, um, I was, I was telling him, I knew he told me a little bit about someone that he worked with, uh, with jewelry and I was getting ready to buy my uh, now wife, a uh, an engagement ring. So, this teammate, you know, put, you know, put a lot of trust in his guy. He, he said, I have a ring guy. He's amazing. He's great. Don't go to some corporation and pay retail price for a, a diamond like that. You, you can get it way cheaper. So I put my trust in him. He was, he's a great guy. Still is a great guy. And he, he hooked me up with this ring guy and the ring guy was just an incredible salesman. And I think the reason I failed mainly in this is because I put I, I put a lot of trust in other people. Like I, I assume people are going to be as trustworthy. I feel like as, like I am, you know, I would never sit, sit there and try to, you know, get something out of someone that I don't deserve. And, uh, I, I was sold a, a diamond that was actually, they call it clarity enhanced. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it's, they basically shoot lasers through it to make it more, more clear. Hmm. And, um, I, you know, I wasn't told that, that it was clarity enhanced. I was just I was given a, um, basically just a price of it. It was a great price and this is what it's worth. And, and at the end of the day, I I tried to get, I think it was a little loose in the setting one day and this was a year or two after we were married and, um, we took it to a jewelry jeweler to get it cleaned. And the jeweler was like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I can't touch this diamond. I'm just like, why not? What's wrong with it? He's like, I'm afraid if I apply heat or anything to it, it's just going to shatter. I'm like, well, Oh no. That kind of defeats the purpose of a diamond. You know, it's one isn't one of the strongest things. (laughs) Last forever, right? Yeah. And they were like, well, this diamond's clarity enhanced it and those lasers shooting through it to make it more clear are incredibly like they make it incredibly weak. And so I I mean Did you call the guy
0: back? Did you call the sales guy?
1: Oh Oh, yeah, I've been I've been trying to get, get with them for probably the last three or four years and um the stories have changed five or six different times, you know. Um family emergencies or like now I, the guy I get my rings from, he's being investigated by the FBI. And it's just a, a big workaround that just, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to stay on top oh. of it, but it's one of those things that, uh, just, it's been a very frustrating thing in my life. And I think at the end of the day, it's one of those things really, all I had to do was take it to a jeweler and get it appraised. But I put so much trust in this person right. and I thought, okay, he would never do this. Cause I would never do that to anybody. And, um, turns out, you know, it was, it was just it was it was a failure that I paid for, you know, and I'm uh, I'd love to get it back, but it's just one of those things that's been a, a giant headache. So that's it, I can't I think it just all kind of came down to trust. Now any time that I have a friend getting engaged, I'm like, wherever you get your ring, make the investment, take it to another jeweler jeweler, get it get it appraised and uh, know what you're working with. Right.
0: Get a second opinion. Ask for the uh, certification too. Um, Did he show you any kind of certification?
1: He did. Yeah. And I was, I was explaining, I guess there's two, two or three of the main certifications and it was like the less dependable of the Uh two. And um, I'm starting, I I started to learn that I, he didn't have an outside source um, appraise it. I think he has his appraisal license. So he appraised the diamond himself. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like an idiot. oh, Mike. like this story.
0: And you know I, what? I I can't. I'm sure your wife totally gets, like, understands and doesn't care. But like, I know that's. I think my husband would be mortified. You oh, know,
1: I, mean, I, I again. I mean, it's what seven years later. I'm so. I mean, since I mean, I still have the diamond. I'm trying to trying to get full a full refund for it. I mean, we we she obviously doesn't wear that one anymore. I I sit there. I'm like I. I'm sorry that the one I gave (laughs) brings up so much (laughs)
0: angst. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I hate that the one I gave her isn't the one uh, she's not wearing the one today that I gave her the day we got engaged, but it's, you know, it has nothing to do with her, um, her picking out a different one or anything like that. It's, I am so upset. Like this is a terrible diamond. We're getting a new one and we're going to do it by the books. And the one she wears now is absolutely gorgeous. And I love seeing it every day. And I hope she does too. I, I mean, she, she definitely does. She looks at it all the time and really admires it but uh it's one of those things that um I've corrected it in a way but I'm trying to get it fully corrected <laughs>
0: and think about all the other people he defrauded
1: Oh exactly actually that exa- that same teammate that recommended me to him and I'm I'm not bashing this teammate at all he's a great guy and he actually went through the same thing and uh went through I think um I was told about a year ago he took him to court and um got something figured out so now I'm kind of in the same process <laughs>
0: Good for, Well, good luck with that. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's it's not, not one of the fun things I've had to do the last few years.
0: <laughs> you never know what you're going to find out on this show. Exactly. It, that's actually a really good tip. So thanks for bringing that up. And Valentine's yeah. Day was just two days ago as we record this. So uh, it was kind of timely to hear that. Uh, let's do some So many Fill in the Blanks, Mike. You've been such okay. a fun guest. You know what this is, right? When I start a sentence yeah. and then you finish it? Definitely. All right. So if you won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is
1: You know, the first thing I would do, I would not tell a soul. I obviously <laughs> I would tell my wife and I would tell well, my wife would know, but um and I would tell my financial advisor and then you know get it obviously invested. But really after those are the kind of standard things I think anyone should do. But um I I have a few charities that I, I'm I'm very interested in. So I would I would take about 25 30 percent of it right off the bat and donate it to charity and then um i would definitely have to do something not very financially savvy for myself I'm yes obsessed you should get those tesla. 80 dollars
0: sneakers that you want yeah exactly i should
1: go back and get those sneakers but i'm obsessed with tesla i want a tesla oh. more than else i would buy i would buy a tesla after after doing all that
0: <laughs> are you worried about particular people coming after you for the money is that why you would keep it hush hush
1: no, not, not whatsoever. No, I, I, I feel like I've never had anyone around me that I've been worried about, uh, whatsoever with that. But I think it's just one of those things when you, I, every now and then I would watch one of those lottery shows and they would just have family come out of the woodwork that they've never met before and people trying to get a hold of them. So I, I just, for me, it would just be like, I would, I would keep it, keep it very quiet. Obviously tell family members cause I lo- you know, love every single person, in my family, but when it comes to publicity or anything like that, I would just like to keep
0: it quiet. So smart. All yeah. right. One thing that makes my life easier or better. One thing that you spend on that makes your life easier or better is,
1: um, the boring answer would be financial advisor. You know, I, I can't sit here and recommend any stock to anybody. All, all I could say is, um, kind of like you and I have talked about before in some emails is just to be as diverse as possible. Um, so that that's the first thing I, I think having a great financial advisor just makes everything easier and you can see, you know, see money work for you. But one kind of thing that I really just love to spend money on is just house like technology for my house. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing like sitting, just sitting on the couch and grabbing your cell phone and adjusting the temperature of the house <laughs> or turning your lights on or off and, uh, operating your TV, something like that. That's just something I've one of those tech things I've always really been into um, just home automation is one thing that's made my life easier.
0: That's a good point. So that was my next question. Your biggest splurge, it would be technology for the house.
1: Probably not my biggest splurge, but uh, my wife and I, we, we do, we we enjoy really going on dates and having a a great glass of wine or going out to dinner or even taking a nice vacation. We try to go to somewhere nice like once a year. And um, those are two things we really never feel ashamed or bad you know putting almost an investment into because just just to invest in great experiences but one thing I would definitely say kind of a guilty pleasure that I don't get worried about too much when I do spend the money on is maybe like a house renovation I feel like if I redo a bathroom I don't feel like I just spent money on a car you know I, I feel like yeah it's on a bathroom so not, not only am I going to enjoy it for the rest of the time we're in this house but Hopefully I'll get that and maybe some more um, from what I put into it when you sell it. So that's one thing I always never really feel too bad about is um, renovating uh, something in our house.
0: Bathrooms and kitchens, those are the two rooms that have see the most ROI when you renovate.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is?
1: Um, I, I wish I had known, you know, you, you never have too much or too little money to um, have a budget. I think, you know, basically you get to a point where whether you're a kid who's 15 and has your first job ever, or you're, you know, 55 and you have $40 million, you know, your money is always going to be something that's going to be, I don't want to say like an issue negatively, but money's always going to be an issue. I'm sure money is an issue for Donald Trump or Bill Gates. You know, there's certain things that he's just like, nope, I don't, I don't want to spend my money on that. So I think You never have too little or too much to be able to uh, put together a budget.
0: Yeah. Although, yeah, sometimes when you're a little too young, like budgeting, unless you're earning the money, it's hard to really, like really, really appreciate a budget.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have like certain payments, like a car payment or car insurance or gas, things like that.
0: (laughs) Exactly. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? I like
1: to give to Cancer Free Kids. It's a... it's an organization that kind of hits home. I, my, my niece, um, we learned she had a brain tumor a few years back and, um, she's now she's cancer free. And so it's one of those, one of those organizations that hits home with us. And, uh, it's really, really fun to be involved and and meet some kids that have, who've had a really tough time and, um, just really appreciate being around people that the kids are so resilient and they're such fighters and it's very, very inspiring.
0: Mike, it's been so great to have you on the show. Before you go though, let us know why are you so money?
1: Um, you know what? I've thought about that question every time you ask somebody that. <laughs> I, I think it's a little bit vague, but I I just really think it's because I live within my means. I, um, you know, I, I've experienced a lot of people who I've seen try to save every single penny and I've seen people who just are living paycheck to paycheck. So for me, it's just if you can kind of like I was saying earlier, create a budget and live within your means. I think um, that'll get you to a point where, you know, you'll be successful, you know, no matter like what kind of goals you set, if you live within your means, you'll, you'll kind of satisfy that part of your life, the financial part of your life. So I I think that's my biggest goal is to live within my means.
0: And I will say, I don't know you very well, but I, from what I hear and what you've told us, it sounds like you don't take a backseat when it comes to your finances. You're very much Uh, a driver in, in, in your path to financial wellness. And while you have a team and you trust your advisor, that's all great. But uh, you know, some people would just kind of let those people decide what to do, but it sounds like you're being really proactive. And so I think that's another reason why you're so money and we wish you the best of luck as this new season unfolds and this new chapter in your life. We hope that you and your family will find a great new home uh, or new team and keep us posted.
1: Thanks a lot. I I really appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun.
0: That is a wrap. Thanks so much to Mike Nugent for stopping by. Good luck to you and your professional endeavors. If you'd like to learn more about Mike, you can follow him on Twitter at MikeNugent85. And if you missed any of this, just head over to SoMoneyPodcast.com where you can download the transcript, download the audio, and also get in touch. If you have a question for me, if you want to be on the show, go to so click on Ask Farnoosh, and send me your thoughts and your questions there and hopefully we'll connect soon. Thanks for tuning in everyone and I hope your day is so money.